the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Soapy will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. We are here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so very much. We're honored that you would make us a part of your evening. We appreciate you being along here on The Bible Live. Stacy is here in the studio, my daughter Stacy, And we have made our way through what chapters this week? 20 in the book of Exodus, mm-hmm. chapters 26 through 40. Almost, uh, well, we did get through the entire book of Exodus. In fact, on Friday, we we. St- Started out, we went right on into the book of Leviticus. We read a uh, chapter or so, but we'll probably comment entirely on the book of Exodus tonight, and then next week we will get into the book of Leviticus. As we uh, we're going to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then just before Christmas we will be turning our attention to the New Testament. We'll go to the first book, the first of the four Gospels, the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. And we will read there about the birth of the Messiah. We'll start there in the first book of the New Testament. So uh, that's what we do. We alternate back and forth through the books of the Old Testament and the New Testament, moving directly through them. So we've started out this reading year with Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. So uh, tonight we'll be talking about chapters 26 through 40 of the book of Exodus, and we hope that you will join us in the conversation in our consideration of uh, the book of Exodus. And uh, we invite you to call in 210-340-9585 is our phone number. 210 is the area code, 340-9585. You can call from anywhere across South Texas, uh, around the avenues and the highways and byways of the great city of San Antonio, or even from across the nation, wherever you might be hearing this broadcast. We are... San Antonio has byways? (laughs) Byways, yes. Highways and byways. (laughs) Oh, it's an expression, John. John is such a a literalist. Uh, (laughs) He'd get me in trouble from the very get-go. Uh, anyway, I've talked to people this week, in fact, that are listening to the broadcast uh, from across the nation, either live here or that they listen to the podcast. So uh, if you are listening from anywhere, though, you can give us a call here in the States, area code 210 340 
9585. We'd love to hear from you. It would be a real thrill for us to get a call from you about the scriptures that we're considering tonight. Now, that is what we do. We Monday through Friday, you can listen to uh, the readings of the Bible. That's uh, really the heart of this program, The Bible Live, is that giving we like to give you a chance to actually hear the entire Bible itself. Every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible, uh, from Genesis all the way to the maps, as we say, the book of the Revelation at the end of your New Testament. We read through those every year. We've just finished in the book of, in the month of October, we finished uh, our 20th time, is it 21st? No, 20th time Mm -hmm. through the scriptures. And uh, we've now embarked on our 21st journey through the scriptures. And we started with the book of Genesis, as I said. So you can give us a call uh, Monday through Friday. We read the scripture readings. You can go to our website, thebiblelive.com, and you can find the readings each and every week, Monday through Friday. Or if you go to the podcast, you can go back and catch readings from from other dates and other uh, chapters and everywhere at thebiblelive.com. But uh, our primary objective is allow people to journey through the entire Bible here uh, every year, the entire Bible, every every word, every verse, every chapter, every book. And then here on Sunday evenings, we get a chance to review the readings from the past week. So we'll be looking at Exodus chapters 26 through 40, as I mentioned before. And we always look at the Psalms and the Proverbs are read uh, separately in our reading schedule. Uh, We call it our wisdom and worship segment. We always read something from the Psalms and the Proverbs separately. And we this past week read uh, Psalms 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22. So if you'd like to call about those, we can make mention of those as well tonight. There, in fact, is that it's a particularly beautiful uh, set of readings, uh, those particular chapters, 18, 19, 20, 21, and 22, they're very interesting uh, uh, psalms, and we can uh, make mention of those yeah. a little bit tonight, Stace. So give us a call if you'd like, 210-340-9585. Why don't we start, <clears throat> uh, let's start with some overall considerations of the book of Exodus. Okay. And then, uh, you know, we'll get into those those chapters that we read. But we then we might return and take a look at some of these uh these verses and these uh, uh, some comments that we have and we don't often comment greatly on the Psalms and the Proverbs. These are all Psalms, of course, but we'll uh, we'll consider those in a moment. But let's look at the book of the Exodus overall. It's a remarkable book. Now, remember, we commented when we read the book of Genesis. It's a book that starts in a garden, a beautiful garden. Uh, it was Adam and Eve experiencing the presence of God, walking in the cool of the garden with, with God, their creator. And then the, the the fall of man into sin. And the book ends, uh, although it starts in a beautiful garden, it ends in a, in a, in a casket mm-hmm. in, in, in Egypt. Yeah. So you go from the, the heights to the depths uh, there in the book of Genesis. Well, Exodus in some ways is... A little bit the opposite. Genesis is a picture of paradise lost, in a sense, although the promise of redemption is there in Genesis as well. But then 
and the beginnings of, of God's redemptive plan. But Exodus then is just, on the other hand, a, a picture of paradise regained and that we have a picture of the redemptive plan of God. It starts in bondage and slavery in Egypt and ends in the blazing glory of God's presence as his his uh, glorious presence fills the tabernacle and he begins to lead Israel a cloud by day and fire by night. So it's kind of the opposite of, of Genesis, Stacy, and what we mean by the picture of the redemptive process of God in the book of Exodus. Yeah. Well, I love you. You said it. Good morning. <laughs> Hi, Nate. Talk about it right now? Yeah, yeah, now. <laughs> Go. Um, well, uh, yes, I uh, the, I guess the, just the overall images of that process of justification and so the actual um, bringing out of sin and um, being brought out of Oh, getting some out, of, out of bondage, out of, out bondage, of slavery right. in Egypt. And then that uh, process of sanctification where we are then refined and being um, made holy. Uh, and that process you see uh, in the 40 years in the wilderness. I mean, you see that from the very get-go, even on the mountain, <laughs> receiving the Ten Commandments and um, already, you know, immediately... There are. Yeah, <laughs> so we're getting some feedback there Sorry from, what is it, our uh, uh, headphones maybe? Up a little loud. Maybe our headphones are set up too high, John, I don't know. <laughs> I like uh, the way you said get-go instead of get-go. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, the Texas version is from the very get-go. But, uh, all right, all right. <laughs> get-go. Uh, and then the, uh, of course, the ending. It's still feeding back in my uh, head. And then glorification. And so then... And, and in that sanctification, even the process of building up, uh, I think that's better, building the tabernacle and the, everything that goes into um, getting things just so and obedience to God and the time that it takes to do that, all sort of a metaphor for sanctification yeah. for us today. And, and it takes time. And then... Uh, well, what we're talking about here is that the process of redemption... It, it, salvation, what the Bible often calls salvation, redemption, uh, is it's not as simple as uh, now my sins are forgiven and I'm going to heaven. There, there are three aspects of God's redemptive plan for us as his people. One of them is called justification. It's a legal word. Paul talks about it in the book of Romans. Justified by faith. means Justified means God now sees me just as if I had never sinned. So one is coming out of the kingdom of dark into the glorious kingdom of God and the, into the life that, that Christ, the Messiah, offers us in Christ. So that's that's justification. Uh, the moment we place our faith and trust in Christ, we are reborn. We become part of the people of God. We, we are justified. Then we begin this part of salvation called sanctification, where we begin to be molded and shaped into uh, the people that we should, in other words, we sanctification has been described as the process of becoming what we already are. God has declared us to be holy and perfect in Christ because his imputed righteousness, we are in, given his righteousness as he has taken our sin and we are clothed in his righteousness. So we are already made holy positionally, legally before the throne of God. But now in our day, in our experience, our life experience, we are 
we are being we are being made holy we are becoming in our experience what we already are in our position and mm-hmm. and we're becoming in our practice what we are uh, already legally or positionally in God and then finally from the penalty of sin we are being delivered from the power of sin and praise God one day someday we will be delivered from the very presence mm-hmm. of sin and that is the glorification mm-hmm. um, and we see that whole process yeah. here in the book of Exodus we right. kind of see that the, the in the image of it the the, the example of it mm-hmm. come out of Egypt they're reformed and reshaped and begun to be instructed by God uh, with his laws and his commandments at, um, at Mount Sinai. And then as they begin to make their way through the desert to the promised land, uh, the tabern- God tabernacles with them and accompanies them through that journey, uh, kind of symbolizing in a way our journey here on earth. And then we, we saw this picture of the, the glory of God filling the temple, filling the tabernacle at the end of the book of Exodus, which is a picture of that glorification, yeah. I guess, yes. the, when we are delivered from the presence of sin in, in our lives and in our experience. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a, gotten in, in such a powerful way how it is, uh, it is It is not a boring book. It's not boring. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's got highs and lows, too. Yeah, it's, definitely. It very much mirrors uh, that process. It mirrors mm-hmm. life in a lot of ways. I mm-hmm. think it's very relatable. Um, I was expecting as I started kind of going through it in my memory, I was thinking of it kind of equating it with the book of Leviticus, which Leviticus, eh, when we get to it, I don't want to jump the gun here, but uh, when we get into Leviticus, it's it's a little bit, to me it seems like at least, a little bit of a tougher book. Oh, yes. uh, I know I, I know <laughs> new believers and young people who are who are just now, oh, I started, I wanted to, I, won't, I wanted to read the Bible, and so I picked up the book, Leviticus. and I just started with the book of Leviticus, and I, and I think, oh, <laughs> you know, that's really tough. Maybe start with John. <laughs> yeah, cause you, yeah, that's right. You get in all these details of the various offerings and all the details. of Now, Leviticus can be great and instructive, particularly if, if we want to talk about worship, how to worship, mm-hmm. what it means. To, it can give us instruction guide and guidelines for that. I think that a very very and that's what we'll do. Exciting book. It's full of events and uh, and, and a lot of experiences and, a, mm-hmm. and in a lot of ways some new beginnings. Um, I mean, this is the establishment yeah. of of the of it's sort of the organization now of this people group that God has been calling out and using. And so at this point, we're you know the the little nation really has become a nation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it had been just Abraham, Isaac, Joseph. It had been the brothers. and But now it is about two And then they two became a mob of slaves down in Egypt. Yes. And now... It's about two million people. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so what does that look like when, uh, you know, how does, how does God work within and grow and bring about his purposes... In this, in with within this group of two million people, mm-hmm. That's and not only number. the two million they're present, but he's laying the foundation for future generations. Sure, right. Not right. only this two million, but their children and their children's children and their right. chi- you know the, because. And you see that he must have that long. T- this isn't a he. He's not doing something fast here. <laughs> it, you can see that he is 
setting the stage for something the sustainable mm-hmm. king you know king kingdom uh, in a way and, and that's what the covenant with right. even abraham was all about is that right. you'll be the father of many nations but yeah. through your seed through the, mm-hmm. the the seed of abraham and and really what that means not only your physical biological seed but more than anything it's not just you know seeds the hope but through your seed and Ultimately, talking about bringing the Messiah Himself right. through yeah. this this people group, and that that and that these commandments and the, and the knowledge of God and the covenant relationship to to represent God to the other nations of the world, to be a blessing to the nations of the world, that 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 covenant was not just for these particular people, but for their children and their children's children and generations and generations. Mm-hmm. So we're going to start following them now from this point on. We're going to follow them for about 1,000 years, uh, maybe 1,600 years at this point, before uh, Jesus, the Messiah, shows up. So uh, God is trying to put into place here some the dynamic and the principles that will govern and guide. And if these people will follow those principles and obey them, God promises to preserve them and to protect them and to use them in, in promises, for his purposes. Well, he promises even if they don't <laughs> yeah, that's right. obey, for which we see that. Yeah. And I, I think that that's probably... But they can experience right, his protection, right, his sure. provision, his blessing. If they... Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that that's what you see throughout the, is God's care. You start to not only... Uh, it's the people learning about who God is and God's character. And I think that that even comes out in um, Exodus with uh, when at one point God says, I'm going with you. And, and Moses says, no, no, don't do that. And I think Moses very clearly at that point, he understands God's character and he reminds God of his promise and of the covenant. Mm-hmm. And God says, okay, you're, you're right, Moses. <laughs> when uh-huh. You're right. You're right. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, um, and so it's, it's also... God revealing himself to the, the people and giving the people a chance to really get to to know him and to understand his character. And I think a big part of that character is that balance of God's justice wi- and God's knowable love though, mm-hmm. for the people. Mm-hmm. And so you and you you see kind that. of reconciling those yes. two and it's hard dynamics at some, and it it can be kind of tough at some points. Um because you know we we need his justice. His justice is good and right and true for a nation, mm-hmm. especially. Although we fall under his justice, yeah, that's the whole point. <laughs> is that you see his holiness and his yes. justice demands that sin yes. have its consequences. And yet, on the other hand, God's love and a lot of folks would say those are two conflicting, uh, conflicting impulses within the nature of God. His justice demands perfection and holiness and rightness. But his love seeks relationship and intimacy, and, and, and that those two are incompatible. Right. And of course, that's what the redemptive process is all about. Right. In the redemptive process, God's justice poured out on His mm-hmm. Son, the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So sin is judged, and the consequences of sin are carried out uh, in, in the death of His Son, who died, uh, who took the penalty of our sin right. on Himself. And at the same time, it's a great, the great expression of God's love. Right, and I think you see it as um, I th- I, maybe in Exodus in particular, 
is when you see God most like a surgeon. Mm. <laughs> uh, mm. He, you know, sin is cancerous. It is death. It will destroy not only an individual but a nation, a group, and without destroying the person mm-hmm. or the people. And I mean, I, you would I, you would say some might, you know, a surgeon is my worst enemy. Ah, I don't want because it's painful. It could really hurt uh-huh. um, surgery and you know getting better and taking. You know. You're talking to a man who just had an appendectomy. <laughs> I, 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 know, right? I know about that. Right. And yet, um, although in my case it was relatively painless pain because right, I was asleep the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but right, so, so maybe that you know it's God's way of ridding the cancer, ridding, mm-hmm. you know, working to purify, um, while preserving the the people, mm-hmm. and uh, so that's and I, I think you see that quite a bit. Oh yeah, you do. And, and I remember Jacob, uh, our, uh, uh, a former co-host here at the program. Jacob. Many of our listeners remember Jacob and all yeah. the great wisdom and insights he shared with us. Of, uh, as from a Jewish perspective of the scriptures, both Old and New Testaments. Mm-hmm. But one of the great things he always emphasized about the book of Exodus and this two million people camp, that one of the, the greatest, perhaps the greatest lesson that the people, the, the greatest distinction, the, new, the, the great new lesson that they had to be reminded of uh, at the base of Mount Sinai was that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jehovah, the great I Am, was a God who forgives, mm-hmm. a God of second chances. And uh, we're going to see that tonight mm-hmm. in, in his readings. We saw that while Moses was up on the mountain uh, hearing from God on their behalf and so on, they fell into sin and actually fashioned a gold calf, an idol, and broke the very first two commandments of, of the of the Ten Commandments. That they and, had not yet received, though, in their defense, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I, I, they had, actually. Had they? In chapter 20, the, 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 they were, I, I don't know if they had received them from Moses. I mean, I'm not saying they shouldn't have done that. Uh, no, they, and <laughs> but, we're not trying to excuse them, but they're following course, Jehovah, yes. that they right. should follow after him and not idols and so on. Of a, sure. And, but, they, but they didn't, they they fell back into that sin, right. and and amazingly, and Moses came down and he threw the Ten Commandments, the tablets that God had written on, and broke them, mm-hmm. and, and his judgment fell upon them. And we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. But then Moses went back on the mountain and he came down again with another set, mm-hmm. and and this is. This is a God who forgives because, you know, the gods, their false gods and idols of Egypt were not forgiving gods. They were harsh. And uh, but God is a God of forgiveness. And that's I've always liked that that insight that that Jacob shared. One one of the great principles of of the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Well, we'll come back and talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, the book of Exodus. We'll talk about the tabernacle and the, the symbolism and the imagery that's presented to us in it, and some of the people who worked on it and so on. But let, let's just come in and just, a, oh gosh, we don't have much time. Maybe just even a quick minute or so. Let's talk a little bit about these Psalms. Mm-hmm. Psalm 19 is a great Psalm about general revelation, what is called general re- revelation, God speaking to all of humanity through nature. He said, "When I uh, the, the sun and the moon and the stars which you've created, I uh, 
he says, day and night, nature speaks out, speaks without word or sound to people all over the world, telling of God's greatness. So Psalm 19 is one of those psalms that highlights the fact that God has revealed, which is a great principle for us to remember. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Mm-hmm. You know. uh, what else could we mention there? The, he talks about the power of God's word, God's laws, decrees, commandments, uh, that they revive the soul, make simple the wise, uh, make the simple wise, and bring joy to the heart, and give insight, insight, insight about life. Some of the benefits of God's word, and how He ends Psalm 19, asking that His words and His thoughts be pleasing unto the Lord. Well, we'll come back and talk into our considerations of the chapters of Exodus 26 through 40. That's what's on our plate for this evening for the Bible Live broadcast. You can give us a call, 210-340-9585. And don't dare go away, though, because we'll be right back. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Stan Shelton, with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway, has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me, plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait, and I never dread going to the dentist. Shelton.com or call 590-7878. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. All right. San Antonio's favorite son, George Strait. Yeah. Uh, George Strait concert was my first concert ever. Really? First live concert you ever First live concert ever at the Alamo Dome when I was nine. With Thank you. Billy Graham crusade that George Strait was uh, present one night and and uh, testimony was given of his faith in the Lord. Uh, it was it was a beautiful moment. Well, we are back. This is the Bible Live. You're listening. Stacy is here at my side, and we're going to begin our considerations of our readings this past week from the book. Uh, we talked about Psalm 19, now, uh, chapter 20. Uh, I noticed in verse it talks about the fact that nations fall and collapse because instead of trusting in God for their well-being, for their protection, for their preservation, they trust in armies and weapons and riches. Uh, and, of course, that's a real important lesson for us as a nation. 
weaponry or riches or our politicians even, but ultimately our faith and trust is in God himself. And that means that we're willing to obey and obey God and to seek to, to live our lives and our national life even uh, on the basis of God's laws and God's principles. Uh, that's a very important uh, passage for us in, yeah. in Psalm 20. That reminds me of, or not, but uh, Chuck Colson would say uh, a people are going to be, if it's going to be a civil people, we either ruled by, and we don't want to be in a civilization. I, ideally, you want to have yeah. a conscience and yeah. not be, anyway, it reminds me of that. Not that, not that we totally think you know, no, <laughs> no, cops no. are necessary. We live in the fallen sure, world, but that. The basis for for God's people is we live uh, our conscience right. guided that by we would God's spirit. To do the yeah. right mm-hmm. thing. Well, then uh, let's go into chapter twenty-one. Um, the only principle I saw there, Stacy, was that, uh, that those verses at the end of chapter of uh, Psalm twenty-one, where it says, "When we see evil people succeed, succeed, yeah, yeah we see people." The darkest, the darkest side, and they <laughs> t- they tend to do well. You know, they end up being uh, rich and famous, or president, or whatever. You know, they yeah. uh, and and we, sometimes we we that bother Lord. Why do the wicked prosper and so on? And we're given that reminder in Psalm twenty one that we're not in harvest yet. Yeah. We're in the times of uh, we're in the time of reaping. But uh, remember, Jesus told that parable in the New Testament about. Let the weeds and the and the wheat, let them grow up together. Don't try to pull them out in this time because you might harm the you know. But so this is not time for the gathering and the separating uh, yet. Uh, this is a time of harvest when when we we're we're sowing more and more wheat mm-hmm. for God's people. And so, but but don't worry, says Psalm twenty one. God will ultimately prevail, and evil will be judged. And destroyed, so that when we see evil seeming seemingly at least succeeding and prospering, we the people we can we can still pray and hope and and uh, for the person and uh, while because people can change, right? That's right. what that's while a characteristic of the harvest time. Right. People can change while maintaining that evil be destroyed, mm-hmm. and so we can have that distinction and let God ultimately. That's right. Uh, he will be the one that. Separates the right. weeds from the tares. Right. Now, finally, uh, chapter 20, definitely speak out about it because it, it's a psalm that we know very well because Jesus on the cross on, on Calvary's Mount, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And we always make a great deal of that, that, that some people say, well, that was Jesus uh, lamenting that back on his own son and that he... He he sensed and experienced at some measure that isolation, that lostness that we feel. And and I don't know, that goes a little too deep from my understanding of what that might have meant for the Messiah. It could be that's a part of it for sure. But I do want to emphasize that Psalm 22, uh, often w- when a person, an entire psalm, he would quote uh, either the first verse or a memorable verse from that psalm to make people remember the message of that psalm. And so when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, It may not have been so much a cry from his own heart about the father having forsaken him, uh, although I'm not denying that at all. But also, at least uh, on on another point of view, he was he was reminding them of Psalm 22. Mm -hmm. And what is the message of Psalm 22? 
one, of course, it does have uh, an almost perfect description of death by crucifixion hundreds of years before crucifixion was ever even invented, Mm -hmm. over 900 years before uh, before crucifixion as a means of capital punishment Mm -hmm. was even invented. Uh, he, He quotes this passage, Psalm 22, and it is, if you read it, I mean, it's a, an incredible description yeah. of my life death is poured by out like water. Go ahead, read that. Sure, honey. my life is poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax melting within me. My strength has dried up like sun-baked clay. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You have laid me in the dust and left me for dead. My enemies surround me like a pack of dogs. An evil gang closes in on me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. My enemies stare at me and gloat. They divide my garments among themselves and throw dice for my clothing. <laughs> Every and one of those is just a description of yeah. what happened to you. He had thirst. He, w- he, w- he was thrust into the side. His water blood flowed out like water. He, everything there, he said, I thirst. Yeah. Uh, everything there is such a, an incredible description of yeah, his, his uh, crucifixion experience. And, and yet the psalm ends, we need to emphasize that, it is a psalm of victory. It's not a psalm of sadness and woe because he says on the basis of that, it ends with, I will praise God. Your your voice will go out to all the nations, your salvation to all the people of the world. Mm-hmm. Your, uh, it's, uh, it is a really beautiful picture of, of God's uh, power, celebration of God's redemptive plan for all of humanity. And it, it kind of explains that passage of scripture where uh, Jesus says, "For the where it said of Jesus that for the joy that was set before him, he said, I will praise you in the great assembly." This is cha- Psalm 22. Uh, praise the Lord, all you who fear Him. I mean, it turns from that dark picture of suffering and so on to this this psalm of victory. I will praise you in the great assembly. I will fulfill my vows in the presence of those who worship you. The poor will eat and be satisfied. All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For royal power power belongs to the Lord. He rules all the nations. Let the rich of the earth feast and worship, bow before him, all who are mortal, all whose lives will end as dust. Our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not even yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. So you see that the Psalm 22 is, it's, Maybe, maybe this is part of the joy that was set before Jesus. Was he was yeah. even on the cross? He was visualizing the, the the great blessing that would be poured out on humanity because of his sacrifice as the Messiah. He who knew no sin became sin for us. So Psalm twenty two is really a, a wonderful psalm. Uh, we, and you can go, of course, if you wanted to go back and hear it again from our readings. You can you can do that. But um, those are our considerations of the Psalms. The Psalms are, and the Proverbs are very rich uh, passages, and we don't always give the time to them to go through them as we do the narrative readings. But we thought that tonight that would be very, very appropriate mm-hmm. uh, in light of you know, coming up on the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, yeah. and, and, uh, and talking more about him. too, there's a sweet, uh, it's kind of a sweet message here, too, because the, the psalmist in this psalm of suffering, in Psalm 22, 
think it's one of four chapters that are considered the psalmist of mm-hmm. suffering. There's no indication that the psalmist had sin or had brought this destruct consequences on himself. It's seemingly from a pure heart. It's a righteous kind of suffering. And and I think that's sort of a sweet reminder to people. It's, it is a fallen world. It's mm-hmm. a harsh world. Mm-hmm. It's a sad world at times. And this kind of reminds me almost of a Lamentations mm-hmm. kind of. Uh, yeah, it's uh, great you say that. Yeah, really it is. It's, it can, it's okay to grieve that at times. Mm-hmm. And it's especially when it gives way, though, to it, it kind of, you kind of go through that. And it gives way, though, to the reminder of who God is, that he's on his throne, that he loves us. And especially, I mean, as children of the resurrection, <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we know that it, there is a right. joy that lays before. There is joy on the other side yeah. of it. And Ultimate just, uh, victory is ours. Right, yeah. especially this kind of season, too. It's a wonderful season. Of course, mm. Christmas is beautiful mm-hmm. and wonderful, but it can sometimes be tainted or hard for people going through grief or loss or mm-hmm. things that they didn't necessarily yeah. do. It just is life. Can and be a very sad, difficult yeah, time of the year for right. some people. You know, that's true. And, uh, some have lost their spouse of many, right. many years. Some have, uh, to let's say, COVID or any other illness or, their or, job or their difficulties. Purposelessness yeah. or mm-hmm. life's not living up to the expectations of Christmas time or, right. or what whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. I just it's a it's a it's a nice reminder that you're not alone. I mean, and it's not even necessarily it's it's a it's a, it is a fallen world. Mm-hmm. The psalmist is with you. Jesus was with you. Uh, with you, he experienced it too. Even and. Mm-hmm. Good, um, good, good. I don't know. Well, I like that in the light of the fact that the New Testament also talks of us, about us as God's people, mm-hmm. God's children, that we share in the sufferings of Christ, mm-hmm. that we, in some ways, we too are are take suffering, up. and as we take up our cross uh-huh. and follow him, daily. we daily, we, we too are uh, taking up. Uh, experiencing, I, I I went to a beautiful celebration of the of the Christmas season, uh, just this last night at the Great First Baptist Church here in San Antonio, and every year they have a beautiful celebration and in their incredibly beautiful auditorium, and 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 a huge choir. I don't know, I wouldn't even guess how many, maybe a hundred or so or more. Uh-huh. Beautiful choir, great symphony orchestra. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and children's choir. And it, it was just an incredible celebration uh, of the Christmas season. But but their theme was the work of Christmas, mm-hmm. and not only celebrating the birth of Messiah, his life, his death, his resurrection, and on our behalf, and that we have find redemption in him. But now, as God's people, we are to be about the work mm-hmm. of God and mm-hmm. and feeding the poor and and clothing those who are, are, are poor and needy and, and visiting the sick and those in prison. And, mm-hmm. and, and the whole emphasis is now the work of Christmas we need to be about. Mm-hmm. Now that we, at the same time that we celebrate, now we move out and become the people of God. And as, you, as we just emphasize, sharing in the suffering of Christ, mm-hmm. for giving our lives up yeah. for the well-being. Yeah. Of others, it was a great, great evening and a great, a great theme. I yes. think for us to have in mind during these, particularly, I think during these hard times of, of COVID and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, this is a reminder that we are to be about our Father's business, as just as Jesus, as a twelve-year-old said. Uh-huh. Uh, well, then let's move on to the books of Exodus. Um, 
and, and talk about chapters 26 through 40. Uh, we've seen now Moses has received the, the Ten Commandments up on the mountain, and yet as they, uh, well, in chapter 26, they uh, are given instructions for the building of this thing called a tabernacle. Um, this is a worship center. We'll learn more about it in the book of Leviticus when we go into more detail about how to worship God and what, you know, some of the aspects of the worship uh, process, the things they were to do, the offerings, the sacrifices, and so on. But here we have the building. It was a courtyard, uh, 150, well, 50 yards by 25 yards. The tabernacle was, in reality, if you're talking about a people group of 2 million people, which is about the population of San Antonio, Mm -hmm. uh, 2 million people were the, it would be like the Alamo. (laughs) Down in there. It would be this little construct. It's only... Uh, 50 yards long by 25 yards wide. That's yeah. that's the big white fence that went around it. Mm-hmm. And it's a fourth of a football field. If you're sitting on the 50-yard line, you'd have four of them there. Uh, they're, like I said, uh, 50 yards long, the length of it, and then 25 yards across, a fourth of a football field. Uh, that's the big white fence that went around, an eight-foot-tall mm-hmm. fence, uh, symbolizing the the righteousness, the white, the holiness that m- made right and pure uh, before God, and then uh, in His presence, and then you have this tiny construct in the middle, thirty feet, uh, fifteen feet by thirty feet, and it was made up of two sections, called the uh, this tent. It was a, a really just a tent made out of skins, and it was um, divided into two sections: the holy place and the holy of holies, the most holy place, and uh, with a curtain between them. Uh, and then you had the in the holy place outside in front of that at the at the at the, uh, at the uh, gate where the fence opened up at the at the end uh, there was um, uh, an altar of burnt offerings there was a bronze laver for washing the priests would wash their hands and so on there from their labors and work but the the sacrifices and offerings were brought to the Lord there at the altar uh, and people. Uh, no one was forgiven by the blood of goats and, and bulls, but it was symbolic of the idea that the, the penalty of sin was, was death. Uh, the soul that sins, it shall die without the shedding of blood. There is no remission of sin. So this constant reminder of the the consequences of sin, the seriousness of sin, and the atoning work of God on the sin through through these sacrifices. They were also met a practical uh, need in that they fed the Levite, their families, the, the priests and their wives and children. This was the provision they had when they got into the promised land. Uh, these sacrifices helped to provide for the the priestly tribe, the Levites. So uh, we, we see that. Um, uh, we learn about the uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That was the only day that anyone was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And and that was the high priest only one time a year, uh, and he, even then he went through a purification ceremony and so on. And these two two animals, two goats, were sacrificed. One one's blood was poured out on the on the um, in the holy of holies on the uh, ark of the covenant. The high priest would sprinkle their blood over the ark of the covenant, talking about the the blood atonement, the covering of the sins 
through the blood, the sacrifice of that goat. But then the other goat was a picture of sanctification. Not only was our our sins forgiven and cleansed and washed away through the blood of Messiah, uh, his uh, that his sacrifice on our behalf, but the other goat was taken out of the community. The sins of the nation symbolically were placed on that goat as well, and they, it was taken out of the community, out of the camp encampment, and taken away, symbolizing the idea that God has not only forgiven our sin, but he has also committed himself to removing sin from our experience, from our lives, which is a beautiful, beautiful truth. I like what C.S. Lewis said, that God loves us, and accepts us just the way we are, but he loves us too much to leave us that way. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Lewis. That's why I seem like I remember it. And that yeah. symbolized that second goat. Not only has God forgiven and cleansed our sin, but that now also God is committed to taking the sin out of the camp, out of the congregation, out of the people. And so you have that beautiful imagery of of the Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and that holiday that was set up for them on their new calendar that they have now. They have a calendar uh, that came out of Egypt because slaves don't need a calendar. They're not in control of their time. They don't, don't <laughs> just, But free people now need a calendar because they make decisions about what they how they would use their time. So we see uh, the tabernacle set up, the holy place, the most holy place. We see the furnishings, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the, the, the lampstand and, and the table of showbread and so on we'll get into more detail about those as we move on into the book of leviticus as well uh let's see we've only got a few more minutes in this second what where could we pick up here um what, where could we move let's talk about these two guys who built the tabernacle uh their names are Bez- bezalel and oholiab they were very <laughs> oh holy night Oholiab were talented craftsmen. They were chosen by the Lord to oversee building of the tabernacle, building the furnishings for the tabernacle, the instruments, all the priestly garments, and so on. They were very talented people, talented men. They could have done it themselves, but then they were used by God. And they equipped one of their characteristics is they equipped other people to do those skills and things as well, which is an interesting little yeah. uh, insight into their characters. Bezalel, for example, was the first one in all the Bible that is said to be filled with the Spirit of God. A very interesting concept. We'll talk about that when we come back, about for the life of God's people, as as God's people, as God's children. We are also told in the New Testament that we are not to be drunk with wine because that's just a waste of time and, and futility. But it says we are to be, and it, it's not a suggestion, it's a command we are to be, each of us as God's children, filled with the Spirit. Don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. We want to talk a little bit about what that means, even as we mentioned this first person in the Bible that is said to be filled with the Spirit. So we'll talk about that a bit. We'll go talk about the day of the observance of the Sabbath day and what that means and how what does that mean for us even today as well as God's people. And then we'll look at this this terrible mistake they made there at the base of Mount Sinai. Yeah. They they broke the first two commandments right off the bat, and they built an all, an, a, a false god, an idol, and it's it's filled with bad news. Even even Aaron, uh, I'm not. Uh, I mean, is it, is it Aaron? Yeah, Aaron yeah. participates in it, yeah. 
and covers for them and actually seems to misrepresent the truth about how it happened. Um, So we'll talk about them building an altar to this false god, this golden calf, and and what came of that situation. Uh, We'll cover that. We'll go on to what God, results of that for the people, the Levites, how the priestly uh, tribe was chosen. And they were they were chosen in a very interesting way, and they replaced another group of people. We'll talk about that as well. What else, Stacy? Will we talk about when we get back from our break? Well, I I think it's interesting a little bit just because it's uh, has reference to determining God's will um, about the priests and the chest and what they wore that the urim and the thummim. I, just, yeah. I think that's an interesting. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, they they well, they had. Dice, and there were kind of a way of throwing right. dice to determine God's will. And so, yeah, that's something maybe we can shed a little bit of light on it. Although I, I have a hard time with a little bit understanding it, but I've, over the years I've gotten a little bit of insights and thoughts about well, and what the Urim and the Thummim were all sure. about. Sure, and we think of often being filled with the Spirit as a way of determining God's will. And so it seems as if there's this, you know, and yet you've got... Um, you know, uh, Bezalel and Oholiab, they were the first filled with. So, and you would think that the priests, who were the ones that would have the Urim and the Thummim, uh-huh. that they would be filled with the Spirit. Uh, you know, I mean, so well, it's we hope a lot they of, were, right? Yeah, we, we, we there do. seems to be some paradoxes here. Just yeah. some kind of we want our spiritual leaders to be led by God's Spirit. That's it, no doubt about it. And, and so mm-hmm. it feels funny that it's the Urim and the Thummim. So. I think that's an interesting, um, yeah, I'd like to dive into that We've, we've got a, a, some interesting topics to cover before we get toward the end of the book of Exodus. So we'll come back and talk about those. And, of course, all along we're always ready to take your phone calls, 210-340-9585, if you have a comment or a thought about any of these great truths and the things that we read in the book of Exodus. So don't go away. The Bible Live will continue. Our final segment is just a few minutes. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Jingle bells, jingle bells, what a happy day. I asked Jesus in my heart, and now he's here to stay. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, sing it loud and clear. Jesus lives within my heart each day all through the You're listening year. to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. So well, the day my life was changed. I'd walked in darkness oh so long my soul with sin was stained. <laughs> then I heard the spirit's call. Right, but it's true. before the cross. Jesus shined his light, took away my sin. Now I'm no longer lost. Everybody oh, jingle bells. Jingle bells, what a happy day. I asked Jesus in my heart, and now he's here to stay. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Sing it loud and clear. 
Jesus lives within my heart each day all through the year. Uh, let's go. Let's yes, end it Jesus now. Jesus lives within my heart each day all through the year. Woohoo! Is that live? I hate to torture everybody, but uh, yeah. yeah. Is that live or Memorex? Or Memorex, yeah, right, yeah. Well, that is uh, part of the converted or baptized <laughs> Christmas songs. That uh, These are secular songs that someone, someone down the line helped, and we put those into some good Christ-centered, God-centered <laughs> lyrics. And uh, we're going to get those on that website. I know I am, and so you can download them. I know. I was, I was beating myself up on the way here that I had forgotten that once again. I've got to get it done. Uh, but anyway, those are some that we'll make available that you can download and maybe use at your Christmas parties if you already hadn't had them. Right. So uh, we'll get it done. Stacy, whip me into I shape. Me get me to right. do get that done. Yeah, okay. crack the whip on me. Well, let's go back now. We got one more segment to talk about these chapters uh, from the book of Exodus, chapters twenty-six through forty. I guess we've discussed a little bit down through chapter thirty or so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the tabernacle and the tabernacle furnishings and so on. Uh, we could talk about the Sabbath day that that's part of uh, in chapter. Oh, what day was it? the chapter thirty one? Of course, it starts talking about the day of the Sabbath, the one day a week. We can talk about that, and then we're going to talk about a little bit about the um, the Urim and the Thummim. Stacy wants to explain that to you. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you yeah, to explain yeah. that to you. Well, let's go with the day of uh, the the Sabbath day first. There was this one day, and of course, we're all familiar with the Sabbath days. One day a week that we we did uh, give to honoring God, to worshiping God, and break away from our earthly concerns and our earthly labor, making money and getting the business and doing work and functioning and things about earthly and our our house and our this and that and the other. Uh, and there should be a day where we. We we focus primarily on on God and knowing Him and loving Him and experience resting from our labor uh, because that's the idea is that God rested from His labors and that just focusing on on God and part of the I, I think part of the the heart the essence of the day of Sabbath uh, is that it is a constant reminder uh, it's a sign of the covenant between God and God's people but also it's a constant reminder that our ultimate completeness our ultimate fulfillment is never going to be found here in earthly concern in earthly affairs and um, buildings and crops and making money and careers and so on but our ultimate fulfillment and, and completeness is going to be found only in god and in that spiritual dimension of life and that so it's a recognition of that great great principle the priority of faith and the priority of the spiritual dimension of life. And I think it points really sweetly to the end purpose. And in other words, we're not it's not a it's not a rat race, it's not a circular thing. It is there there is a point and that point is rest and peace in Christ, in in, mm-hmm. in God. And that ultimately, you know, eventually someday we'll um we'll yeah. live in that. But um yeah, I think that that it it. Now the, the life on planet Earth continues. It is a reality. We do, uh, we do work. We do the support our good. families. We take care of our children and our families. We take care, help our neighbors and others. And so there is something real and real and important about our work and our lives on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, to 
to realize that it, that well it only it has its greatest importance in light as seen through the spiritual dimension mm-hmm. as, if we recognize the ultimate uh, priority of God in in the spiritual life and in relationship with him and, you know the old saying is that uh, many a man has devoted himself entirely to climbing the ladder of success only to reach the top and found that his ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Uh, and that's kind of the idea. You know, we, we, there, we can work, we can labor, we can make our money, we can build our businesses, we can support our families and enjoy uh, life and the blessings of life. But always with that, it, we're going to enjoy it even more if seen in the light of that relationship with mm-hmm. God. That's the idea of the great, great, I think, fundamental lesson that we get from the principle of the Sabbath day. And so uh, uh, that's something that we can remember and apply even to our lives today as well. Uh, Let's see here. We talked about the gold calf incident. We can come back to that. Let's talk. What is it about the Urim and the Thummim, Stacey? Tell us first what the Urim and the Thummim was. And then we'll... Whatever you have on your mind, whatever great wisdom you would share. About. <laughs> My wisdom comes as Socratic. It's in questions. <laughs> what okay. do you think the year of the Socrates had a good idea there. Yeah, genius. Learning by asking. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I guess it was uh, pieces. I don't know if they were dice or what they were, but that were in the pockets of the of the priests, uh, their chest piece. Mm-hmm. And so, and they would have. Whenever, I guess, a situation or a decision or a choice that came about that there was kind of a crossroads and not really one clear direction was didn't fall under a commandment. And so it wasn't uh, – it's not as if one choice broke a commandment and the other didn't. Um, then they would use this Urim and the Thummim and I guess kind of a like a roll of the dice to mm-hmm. determine – God's will. So should I do this? Well, it was and worn this on the, on the ch- breastplate mm-hmm. of, the, of the high priest. Of the high priest. So, the, in other words, it did bring, it brought, by its very nature, it brought the spiritual dimension and God's wisdom was being sought mm-hmm. uh, into this. So it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't, and it wasn't about every decision along the way. No. Do I, you know, do it I? Right. It wasn't a way of living. It wasn't a, mm-hmm. a, a daily thing. It was... Uh, when they were in need of them? Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm sure we've all, though, been in those situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a, t- a tough decision where really it's not as if either way. It's a, should I take this job or should I not? It's a, should I marry this person? Should mm-hmm. I not? It, mm-hmm. is, it is one of those kind of decisions where probably if, if, if they love the, you know, whatever. It Sometimes, <laughs> yeah, we all get to those. And. And uh, there's sometimes we do our own version. We say, okay, I'm going to let, I'm going to let circumstances kind of guide me here. If, if such and such, then remember, we've already seen, uh, um, um, Abraham's servant, Eliezer. Remember when he went to the, uh, Mm -hmm. find a bride for, uh, for Isaac, he said, if these girls are coming, the one that comes out and says, uh, and I ask her to have a drink of water, Mm -hmm. the one that says, and I'll draw water for your camels as well, you know. Then she'll be the one, you know. Mm-hmm. So that 
I think we all kind of do some of that from time to time, and in our hearts we're saying, "Okay, Lord, I'm, I want to let you decide this, determine this mm-hmm. by this response or this circumstance." Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me too a little bit um, of something you said: uh, slaves don't need a calendar, mm-hmm. and they got a calendar. It's is a interesting way of also looking at God's sovereignty and God's um, parenting in a way of His people. But at the same time, his liberty, his liberty, and they're not slaves necessarily. Um, and, and so, in a, in a way, this is also kind of a lens to to just explore that part of God's character, and that this doesn't fall under being filled with the Spirit or not. It's not as if this is seen as a negative thing. Oh, that's an interesting uh, concept. To it's a good segue into the filling of the Spirit if we wanted yes. to leave the topic right now. <laughs> But it's not a substitute for uh, walking in the Spirit. But um, I I, I like some of the things you brought out there about that that it's, um, at the very least, when you use the Urim and the Thummim, at the very least, your motive is clear. You're seeking God's Mm -hmm. will. You you don't see it clearly. What Mm -hmm. is it, God, you want us to do? And at the very, you're bringing God into the question. You're seeking you want what he wants. And so uh, now I think, uh, as I said, uh, during the break, we were talking about this a bit. It might be a very good and interesting Bible study to look at all of the all of the situations, all of the incidents in the Bible where the Urim and Thummim were appealed to. Now, there's there's not very many. I don't th- I don't remember more right. than much of a handful, maybe half a dozen times that the the lots were cast and the decision was made on the basis of the of the German and Thummim. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be interesting maybe to study all of those situations. What was the characteristic of the situation? Uh-huh. Was it, you know, a difficult decision to make and, and and they brought God into it? And then what was the decision that God led them to in each case? That's that's mm-hmm. uh, it's a, it's a, could be a very interesting study. Well, that's about all the wisdom I have about the Urim and the Thummim. <laughs> well, and I think that that's, that does, I think what it tells me at least about God's character is that there are, um, th- that the at the heart of it, it's that we do seek him and that we do desire his will and that, and that, that it's genuine and that, that it's earnest. And it's not wrong to be unsure and to, uh, you know, in a way seemingly leave this to him. And that he gives us, um, he gives us that freedom. He gives us that liberty to, you know, seemingly whichever way this goes, do it, and that's okay. Make the choice, make an action, do something, and then he will be sovereign, and he will uh, make all things work together for his good and for the glory of, for his glory. Um, so I, I think that that's a it. it a little unclear it's not specific it's not absolute um but that's he leaves it it's on purpose he mm-hmm. he leaves that um he leaves that well, was part of their process for learning god's will i mean it, it was not the only unique thing it right. was back actually a very exceptional right. thing that they would use right. and and it probably does tie into the idea of us as christians one of the great qu- questions that uh, new Christians, or you know, I, I'm, for years as we teach our classes uh, for the basic trainees out at Lackland, many times I, and particularly in the fourth week, we talk to them about the person and work of the Holy Spirit, how to walk in the power of the Spirit, how to be filled with the Spirit. Mm-hmm. In, in other words, 
uh, I, I say to them, if you, uh, if, if you could, if Jesus Christ were standing right here in the room right this moment, and you could ask him any question you want, what would you ask him? And invariably, almost every time I've ever done that, and you'll be talking to a hundred young men and women, and, and many of them brand new believers, and some of them knowing the Lord for some time, but they invariably one of the things would be, I want to know God's will for my life. Mm-hmm. I'd, I, can you tell what is your will? What yeah. Is, yeah. And, and believers are, we are all interested in that. What what is your will? What? Mm-hmm. And of course, the idea of being filled with the Spirit is that we are trusting God's Spirit. His in and his working in us, with us, through us, and around us, by faith, we are trusting in his spirit to be carrying out God's perfect will in our lives. So it's a faith, it's a faith walk. Mm -hmm. And the filling of the spirit is when we are by faith, we're experiencing the controlling and empowering work of God's spirit in our life. And so we are called upon to walk every day, walk in the spirit, be filled with the spirit trusting him on that path mm-hmm. and, and this, this falls into that at times we don't consciously know what the right thing but we have to trust right. okay lord i trust you're here you're in this situation and, and you're going to guide me you're going to lead me into your perfect will and that's our heart intent and desire and so this year I'm in through them, there is a tie-in a little bit to that to our present experience to walk by faith uh, in, in him and to trust in the guidance and the empowering work of his spirit mm-hmm. in and through our lives. Well, let's jump to this thing called um, this this great sin that takes place while Moses is up on the mountain. They build a gold a gold uh, idol, <laughs> a, a gold bull or uh, an animal, and they because they get so discouraged. I guess at least some of them seem to get discouraged. That, Moses has been up there so long, they're afraid he's not going to come back down or something. And so their solution to that is, let's go worship an idol. <laughs> let's build a, a gold calf and worship this idol. And Aaron goes along with it, strangely enough, which is a little bit of a and, and later on, he tells Moses, well, this is what happened. You know, they, they insisted on this. And so I told them to bring me all their gold and silver. And remember, they had gotten gold and silver and a lot of wealth and riches from from the Isra- from the Egyptians as they left uh, Egypt, and so they brought many of those gifts and offerings, and contrast this offering with the offering they gave for the tabernacle, right? Yeah. But then they they built this gold calf, and 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 Aaron says, "Well, I I melted it down and I put it all in the fire and it melted down and out popped this gold calf. <laughs> you know, just it, it formed itself. It came right out of the fire." Uh, I doubt really that happened unless there was something diabolical going on. But um, but that was Aaron's story, and he stuck to it, uh, by the way. And so uh, and then they're, they're discovered, and they're, they, they had this kind of drunken celebration, orgy-type thing that went along with idol and false god worship. And... and, and Moses comes down and discovers them, and he throws down the Ten Commandments and breaks the tablets. And and then we have this whole thing where his, some of his fellow Levites are called upon. And he challenges them to be a hand of God of judgment to go through and to and punish by death. Yeah. Uh, 3,000 people were that's killed. That's probably the hardest. That's yes. the hardest verse for me in the, in the book, I think, is is getting through that and just... 
But, you, you know, it, I, I did it. I did get through. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, I it's tough. You wrestle. You, had to, you have to wrestle with it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, you do. And, it, and it's, it, uh, you know, sin does at times have even an earthly consequence. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, you may get in a drunken fight in a bar, and then you may, somebody may shove a broken beer bottle into your eye, and you lose your eye, and you know, fight or something. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you convert, and you come to Christ in faith, and you're made a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. You're on your way to heaven, but you're still blind. You know? And right. you know, there are sometimes earthly, and sometimes if you do a crime, you mm-hmm. can come to Christ. You can be forgiven and cleansed, but still there is uh, there is a facing of the reality that you committed a crime, and that crime means you need to take rem- the punishment, the penalty right. of that crime. It reminds me, you know, how you said about Exodus being viewed through the lens of justification, sanctification, glorification. This definitely felt like sanctification. Mm-hmm. It's hard. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we may gloss over a little bit of the sanctification process. I mean, we, we hard-pressed, crushed refined like fire in fire uh, I mean, the, all of those all images of those, are yes but it, and it's they're not like, fun they're not fun <laughs> right it, it's really painful and you get that sense in this chapter in this verse specifically this is painful process mm-hmm. of, but a good thing too i remember jacob used to emphasize that the one thing that comes out of this is they learn there's this incredible truth about mm-hmm. this new God, Jehovah, mm-hmm. the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their ancestors, that he is a forgiving God. He's a God of second chances. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they wouldn't have gotten that with the gods of Egypt or other, the cruel, harsh, vindictive. Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, uh, God created another set. Of, of the stones and they were forgiven and he even threatens he said i'm going to destroy you all i'm going to he tells moses i'm going to wipe them out the whole nation new, uh-huh. and i'm going to start all over again just like i did with noah right. i'm going to kill all of them and i'm going to start all over again with you and, and, and moses, moses said no <laughs> i don't want that lord mm-hmm. and he reminds the lord of, of his will of his covenant promises yeah. and what would the egyptians think what would all the nations on look that you brought us out of out of it, only to be destroyed, and uh, he reminded God of His perfect will, of His goodness, of His love, of His namesake, for your covenant promises, uh, e- even offering to be blotted out Himself, if if that were possible. And and interestingly, and who knows, maybe that was one of the purposes, uh, to bring and uh, to see no, Mo- Moses' heart mm-hmm. in that particular thing. But uh, so God um, does not do that; He does not destroy them. Consequences are paid. Uh, it is I, I assume that those who suffered the penalty of the death that were probably ringleaders, people who were, right. who were not. But it is it's hard. not spilled, spelled out right. clearly in our English translations, and maybe in the original languages there's more the insight given. But but um, you know, a price was paid. Those who participated and led in this rebellion, this great act of disobedience to God. And remember how serious a moment this is. This is God forming and shaping the people who are going to be the bearers of his name and of a witness of His of who he is as a true and living God. In a world of paganism and idolatry and false gods, this is a, this nation building is very important. It, it, we, we have to realize what God is doing with the people of Israel is extremely important, not only for them, but it's it's important to the entire redemptive plan of God for the nations, for for all the world, it through reminds, generations. It reminds me a little bit.
bit of uh, of kind of of, of an, an Ananias and Sapphira moment in a way. Yes, exactly. Um, just kind of right off the bat as he's established going the church ahead yeah. and, uh-huh, and and removing those that would just Im- immediately have brought uh, idolatry and yeah, intentional falsehood uh-huh. and misrepresentation and you know that. Yeah, it, it does. There is a probably a good, right. good uh, comparison there. Okay, we've got uh, we got through that. Uh, what was I going to talk about? That Moses turns that down. Um, oh, I did want to mention that God in that context, after that complete experience, Moses has such a powerful experience of God, and, and he's learning mm-hmm. so much. He says to God, "You know, you if you'll go with us, we'll, only if you'll go with us, will I go on this trip." As, and God says, "I will go with you." And, I come, and Moses says. And I want to see your face. And I just think that's that's amazing. In chapter 33, and God says, no one can see my face and live, uh, but I'll let you see my back. In other words, I'll let you see. And I, I've often thought about that, Stacy, as I get older and I'm thinking about going through the portal of death or into eternity, how God has placed us extremely hard and fast barrier between this world, this life, and the spiritual dimension, we 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 can't we can't penetrate it. There's no there's no definitive. One did the Messiah came and went, but we have his witness, we have his testimony, we have that evidence, but we don't ourselves have direct, uh, irrefutable, total, absolute truth about uh, the, about that spiritual dimension. And, and maybe that's a part of what God says to, you know, that we are, we're not able, we're not equipped to handle. The vision and the of the reality of that spiritual dimension, and Paul says that that the spiritual world is 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 uh, it's beyond our imagination, mm-hmm. its beauty, its power. You know that, that we wouldn't be able to imagine it. Well, God says to him, "You cannot see my face in that spiritual realm and live." Maybe we're not equipped and able mm-hmm. to to absorb that, but He does let him see the after effects as God passes before him. He sees the after effects as we can see. The after effects of God working, we can see His back. We can see what He has done, and the the changed lives, and the changed situations, and the redemptive process. We get to see His back as well in our lives as we observe God at work. Um, what else should we talk about? Well, that's that's pretty much it. We've talked about Bazalel and Oholiab and being filled with the Spirit. Uh, how that they. They could have built the tabernacle themselves, but they gave themselves to teaching others how to do those things as well, which is a good emphasis on the principle of discipleship uh, for us as God's people. Well, we did it. The book of Exodus begins in the gloom of slavery and bondage, but it ends in a blaze of glory as God's glorious presence fills the tabernacle and leads Israel by cloud by day, fire by night, through the wanderness, wilderness wanderings. See you next week, everyone. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Quiz Show. 
visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.